house. No, the right no, house. I did it. Get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. Stranger will appear from nowhere. He's alive. We think that you were shipwrecked. His arrival will awaken emotions. He's so young, isn't he? Yes, he is. Are you hungry? Mm -hmm. Oh, Ursula, stop it. You look like a cannibal. Arouse suspicions. I still think it's rather odd. Bugger doesn't speak a word of English. Sprechen Sie Deutsch? Yeah. Bed. Bed. We're learning English. He might be Ursula. You are making holes in the furniture. And change the lives of all who meet him. Forgive me, I simply couldn't help responding to such marvelous playing. Was it you? It was neither of us. You don't think that was rather rude, Janet? No, I do not. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast berating you to fill out your life experiences section of your dating profile. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I am your host, Chris File, and I'm here as always having a beachside picnic with my sister roommate co-host, Joe Reed. Oh, I- Joe I was going to say I was pretending to play Dead by the Seashore as a funny joke on you, but apparently oh, okay. I am one of the old spinsters. That makes sense. That's uh, that's that's only correct. Well, but like, you know, we have the we have a guest this week. The guest coming up on our seashore eventually right. going to tell us that they're a violinist in some other language. True. It's, uh, you know her as uh, we really like her podcast co-host. I love that show. I know I've uh, shouted it out before. It's Danita Steinberg. Hello! I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you. Um, So we actually got to finally hang out at this past TIFF this year. Yeah! um, After internet friendship and listening to each other's podcasts. And now we have you on the show! So tell our listeners, if they haven't caught it from our uh, jokey hints, what are we here to discuss today? Ladies in Lavender... A movie that was purely theoretical to me up until yesterday when I watched it. <laughs> I I couldn't wait to talk to you guys about this movie and and just sort of hear your experiences with it and whether or not you had even seen it before. I absolutely hadn't seen it before, nope. but like I feel like it's one of those movies that just by the title and the poster alone, it's like you can kind of absorb it through osmosis. Um, yes. <laughs> and, like, watching it, I absolutely loved it. I was a little confused because there was a l- distinct lack of lavender. I thought that they would be, yes. like, they would exclusively wear lavender, and I would right. actually make... There's no make... lavender. No, there's no lavender. It's maybe, like, the palest possible vaguest sense of lavender sometimes, right. but it's... I, I, it's no. Um, I will make a confession, though. My initial conception of this movie... Do you guys know about the red hat ladies? Oh, yes. yes. Of course. Where it's yeah. like they only wear red and purple. I thought that this would be a movie about red hat ladies. I oh want to go God. around the table a little bit and just, like, each of us say what we thought this movie was going to be about, only knowing the title. 
even like if you you know if you saw it like years ago or whatever because like for me I was like this movie is either going to be about what it was about which was sort of just like pleasant ladies by the seaside but like all the other one was like do you remember that Judy Dench movie Last of the Blonde Bombshells which yes. I've also never seen and which I've but I believe is about like her being part of like some sort of like singing group and sure. I was like, okay, like, that's maybe what the ladies in Lavender are. Like, I was expecting, like, the two of them and, like, several other Tea with the Dames-esque people. Like, I know Miriam Margulies is in this. But, like, I thought this was going to be, like, a, a, like, a, like an old lady group. You know what I mean? Like, a collective. Like, the ladies oh, in Lavender. Oh, like, it was more than really just the two of them. And we meet once a month and we all wear lavender and we reminisce about whatever thing we all did in the war or whatever. And, like, that was not it. What this movie was. I, I do also want to watch that movie. Right. Um, Somebody yeah. make that movie. I want to live that movie. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, welcome to this podcast. That podcast is yeah. us living that movie. Yeah. Um, yes. Has everybody else shown up in their lavender today? <laughs> right, exactly. Um Okay, so I definitely thought it was a red hat lady movie, which I rem- wow. I will never forget my sister calling me <laughs> out of the blue and like being very serious and being like Talking about our grandmother, who we call Mimi, she's like, I think Mimi joined a cult. And I was like, wait, what? What are you talking about? She's not joining a cult, like, whatever. And she's like, you know those ladies who, like, you go to a buffet on Sunday and you see, like, three to five of them sitting together and they're only in red and purple? I think she joined that cult. And I was like, first of all, that's not a cult. Those are the red hat ladies. I don't know what they do, but they hang out and it's not a cult. So I thought it was going to be, like, that. However, I think there was also like a 20% of me that I was like, I, I, I genuinely don't care what this movie is about. Sure. I know that it's going to be for me and that I like it and all of that. Danita, I what did do... you think this was? Oh, yeah. Danita, what did you think this was going to be? Well, so I saw this movie in theaters when it came out. God bless it. That's awesome. So I, I would have been. Um, what year did it come out? 2004? In North America, it was 2005. Um, 2004 at a lot of festivals, including um, TIFF and Tribeca. Uh, or no, Tribeca was the year after, but there were other yeah. festivals. Okay, so I didn't see it at TIFF, but so I guess I was 15, 16 when this movie came out. And I remember, and I was, so I was like the high school kid that was like friends with all of her cool English teachers. Nice. And I remember just going to school one morning and my teacher came over to me and she was like, Danita, I saw this movie last night called Ladies in Lavender and you would love it and you need to go see it. And so I went and I <laughs> so I went and saw it that night. That's the highest I recommendation. Like, I love it. Yeah. So I went out last night. Um, so I don't remember what I thought it was about, but I I just I think she she was like Maggie Smith is in it, Judy Dench is in it. I was like sold. And yeah, literally, <laughs> exactly. Like, got on the subway after school to the closest movie theater and and saw it. When I used to do uh, movie trivia regularly a few years ago, this was a question at trivia. I remember it was one of their birthdays. It was either Judy Dench's birthday mm-hmm. or Maggie Smith's birthday. And so sometimes we would like get there early and we would we were very competitive. We were very dorky and we would like like study like we would know certain things would like come up like famous people's birthdays that day there was always a question about that there was always a question about like the movie that was opening this week and like there were ways you could like sort of try to anticipate and so one of the two of their birthdays 
and I was like, they're gonna ask how many movies Judy Dench and Maggie Smith have been in together. I'm like, watch. Ah, uh, yes. And and it's it was at that time it was five. Now I guess you would also count um, Tea with the Dames. Um, yeah. As how like, many exotic marigolds were there so far? Um, two. Two. But, at that point, okay. Yes. Yes. So, well, wait. Now I'm going to ask you guys. All right, oh, if you okay. can name six, all six: Judy Dench, Maggie Smith. Oh, wait, no, man. sorry, it is five with second best. Sorry, it's five of them all told, not counting. So we're tea looking with the dames. for two other movies then. Yes, not including Tea with the Dames. Right. Um. One mm. of them is a movie, Chris. I will say we would love to be able to do for this head Oscar buzz, but it is like oh, we can't. We cannot get our hands on it. It's it, we could. It's not like it's ineligible. But oh, like, like it's very, very hard to get a hold of. Is it Tea with Mussolini? It's Tea with Mussolini. Yes. Yeah. It's mm. a very different tea. Yes. This time with Mussolini. <laughs> and then the other one was an Oscar-nominated film from the '80s that neither. Wait, maybe one of them did get an acting nomination for it. Yes. No, I don't think either of them were nominated. No, Maggie Smith might have been nominated in the 80s. It would have been um, Room with a View. Yes, and Maggie Smith was nominated for Best Supporting Actress for A Room with a View. I love that movie. So anyway, but but Ladies in Lavender was like our secret weapon because like no none of the other teams remembered Ladies in Lavender. Yes, they got like all the other ones. Heard of it, right? And (laughs) so that's how we like got a leg up on the other teams that week was that like I was the one who remembered that Ladies in Lavender was a thing. So that was fun. I love that. That's so great. Well, I mean, before we get into the movie, because obviously, like, we're going to have the Maggie Smith and Judy Dench conversation because, like, this is peak Oscar time for them where it's like they're in a movie. So, like, they're going to be on at least long list predictions for people. Right. We always like when we have a guest, we want to talk about your Oscar origin and also why you chose this movie, too. So, Danita, tell Mm -hmm. us, A, what made you want to discuss Ladies in Lavender and like what made you an Oscar obsessive or like do you remember the Oscar year yeah um well so I I for a few months had been had been thinking like hey if I was on if this had Oscar buzz what would my movie be mm-hmm. and I woke up one morning and Ladies in Lavender was just there and I was like that is the movie that is the only movie that I could bring to this had Oscar buzz um, and I think it's it's funny. I, I used to watch it a lot. Like I have the DVD. It was like sort of a comfort movie for me. Mm-hmm. And I I'm a little more far removed from it. Like I haven't watched it in in probably like five or six years. And it's so interesting to me to go back to the movies that I really responded to in high school or when I was younger. And movies that like I don't know aren't that aren't that good. Um, and I like to sort of pick out what what I think I was like responding to. And I think here it was just, um, this really unconventional, unconventional story about women who, you know, aren't married, they're spinsters and they kind of live in seclusion. And, you know, and I think, I think I was just really hungry for women's stories in whatever form that took. Um, and so, and I just think, and I think it's just really, like, this movie really fits into, like, the oeuvre of, of your, you know, what you guys talk about on the regular. So, mm-hmm. um, certainly, just, like, like this a, time period for those two actresses. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Sure. Yes. 
Yeah, it's the right vibe for sure. Yeah. Um, and then my Oscar origin story. I was I was thinking about this this morning, and I'm not someone who was like a little kid watching the Oscars. I don't think my parents ever watched them. I don't think they really care. Um, but I remember the 2000, 2003 Oscars um, with the hours which I had seen in theaters and I just had never seen a movie like that before. And I, that's when I fell, fell in love with Meryl Streep. And I was, I was really going through like a Virginia Woolf thing. <laughs> so are and, you saying you too were radicalized by the hours? Yeah. I was going to say yes. join the club. Yeah. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. And so I remember specifically like watching those Oscars and just being so excited that Nicole Kidman won. And I was just, Oh, I was just, really pulling for the hours and that was maybe that's like maybe the first time i remember really like rooting for a movie to win yeah um mm-hmm. yeah but i also remember in high school like the day the oscar nominations came out like the teacher gave me like special permission to like go to the computer room to awesome. check the story yeah yeah so um yeah probably like 12 13 14 is really when i kind of started super getting into the oscars and and then a, a theater in toronto um and now I think a lot of most theaters do it, but this was like the only theater in Toronto. They would play the Oscars on on Oscar night, and I would go and awesome. just kind of watch it with a big crowd. And um, yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. I love that. The, the hours is a perfect um, answer, especially for us two gay men who are also <laughs> obsessed with that yeah. movie. I yeah. mean, like it, this is also kind of especially when you're talking about women's pictures and Oscar in like the 2000s like that seems like i correct me if you feel differently joe but like it, that feels like the most friendly time for women's pictures at least in my lifetime maybe maybe that's very or do possible you think it was certainly the 90s <clears throat> no, well, it depends. Well, I think or at this... least the type of Oscar culture that would put something like Ladies and Lavender, like I mentioned, on those long list predictions for things. I think this was the time where we were flush with studio-dependent um, indie shingles. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. This was the the time of Focus and Fox Searchlight, which are still with us, but also Warner Independent, Paramount Vantage, all these sort of like, you know indie studio uh, connect, studio connected indie houses and Miramax was still Disney's at the time <coughs> right it exactly was about to uh, it, this was 05 so that would have been ending right but then you would then you had Miramax and the Weinstein company for a while and mm-hmm. so yeah I think there was a lot of opportunity for these movies to sort of flourish and also one thing I thought of while watching this movie and this is a little bit of a tangent but it, it connects um this movie in concept, where it's like the two older ladies and then this sort of like musician who watches up on shore. I remember there's a movie that I've never seen, but I remember the trailer, seeing the trailer a billion times called Swept from the Sea, which was um, Rachel Weiss and Vincent Perez in this sort of like very like, um, I don't know, melodramatic seaside community romance or whatever. And. The one thing I remember clearly from the trailer is Kathy Bates is in it, and she plays this sort of, like, mm. older woman from the town in a wheelchair, and I remember them sort of, like, carrying her in the wheelchair, like, up to the sea, like, up to, like, the seashore. And it all seemed very dramatic, and I was just like, oh, that was a time when I could, 
I could feel a familiarity with these movies just from seeing the trailer a billion times on mm-hmm. DVDs that I'm renting. And I feel like this early Where it's 2000s, maybe like the third trailer, so it's not like an A-level movie, even by DVD trailer terms. Exactly, exactly. But like you see it, Tristan and Eastold, I remember another movie that was like that, where it's just like, wow, mm-hmm. I saw that trailer eight bajillion times and I never saw that movie. And this was sort of the era where like DVD rentals were sort of this was the beginning of the end for that, right? So I think mm-hmm. once you get past the mid-2000s, you get out of that sense of, oh, I'm going to see one movie, and then like seven movies of this type are going to be presented to me as as trailers. Where now I feel like, I think that's one thing that, like, one underrated thing we've lost is the ability to just sort of like be marketed to on that niche level. Um, mm-hmm. for anything beyond, like, blockbuster movies. Like, not to, like, be the 8 billionth person to be on, you know, blockbuster movies. But it does feel like we've lost a little bit of that, oh, I'm gonna go see, I'm gonna go rent, um, I'm tr- rent the hours. And, like, you know what I mean? And then you would get trailers for a bunch of things that would, you know, spark your interest along that line. And, like, Ladies in Lavender is the type of movie that you would maybe get marketed to. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm nostalgic. This movie made yeah. me nostalgic. I mean, like, this movie did, like, kind of spur a little bit of nostalgia in me. Like, the second I started watching it, I felt like muscles relax in my <laughs> Um <laughs> I mean, like, it just yeah. truly, it's one of those movies that five minutes into it, it was like, I don't care how good or bad this is. I'm going to absolutely be very into this. And I actually think the movie's pretty good. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know how you guys feel about it, but I'm sure we'll get into it. So let's move along to our 60-second plot description. Before we do it, as we mentioned, we are talking about Ladies in Lavender, written and directed by Charles Dance, who... uh, listeners who watch Game of Thrones will know him from Game of Thrones. I do not know him from Game of Thrones. I just know him as like a severe man usually playing a British in British films like a villain. Yeah, um, yeah he did it, not stray too far from that formula for Game of Thrones, I will say that. No, so, if, yeah. if it works for you, it works for yeah. you. Um, it's also adapted from the short story by William J. Locke. As we mentioned, it stars Judy Dench and Maggie Smith at the forefront. Daniel Brühl washes up on their shores as a Polish uh, violinist. Also stars Miriam Margoyles and Natasha McClone. We will get into Natasha McClone. Um, it world premiered at the Termina Film Festival in 04, and then Toronto and Tribeca followed. Opened in the UK in 2004, but not in uh, North America and the US until April of 2005 in a limited release. But then it like did really well stateside for a movie that did not have like a major distributor. Yeah. So it's like one of those small successes that like thrust it into the conversation. That's nice. But before we get into it, Danita, as our guest, would you like to do the 60 second plot description? Sure. Let me give it a try. All right. If you are ready, I will start your timer. Yes. All right. Danita Steinberg, 60 second plot description on Ladies in Lavender starts now. So Ladies in Lavender is about two spinster sisters in, like, the 1930s, I think, and they live in this, like, little seaside village, I think, like, in Cornwall, and who knows how long they've been there. There's <laughs> The timeline of this movie is kind of iffy, um, but basically this, this young man, he's maybe, like, 20, he washes ashore one morning, 
and they kind of uh, take him in, nurse him back to health, and they learn that he's a violinist. Meanwhile, there's like this this woman who who they hate, and uh, she kind of <laughs> she she's like, oh, my brother's this violinist. I want to get him famous. And, Ten seconds. Uh, and then and then he leaves to be a violinist. Yeah, that's yeah, the movie. That, that's the movie. That was bad. I hate I hate describing movies. <laughs> I mean, you probably did better than I did. I would have gotten like hung up on like Miriam Margoyles as their maid. Oh my god! Um, yeah, the housekeeper. Who they don't even. I'm really jumping ahead, but I'm so mad that they didn't invite her to go to London to like listen to him. And they say it was her idea too. That's the other thing that like. Okay, first of all, I'm gonna be 12 years old right now. The character's name is Dorcas, D-O-R-C-A-S, and every single time (laughs) Judy Dench or Maggie Smith says, "Well, Dorcas said this," I like fell out laughing. It's It's just such a silly name. It is. It is. It's just like they're like, she's out of earshot and just like fucking Dorcas over there. But like, it's every single time. Every single time. But the only actress in the canon who can straight faced play someone named Dorcas is Miriam Margoyles. Yep. Universal treasure Miriam Margoyles. I read a factoid recently about her because I finally watched uh, Scorsese's Age of Innocence. And apparently for like her role, who's like the uh, benefactor aunt who can't leave the house, like she was furious at Winona Ryder for getting nominated for that. Yes. Because Miriam Margoyles thought that would be like her big breakout. If you ever watch... the same roles you always do. If you ever watch um, the Graham Norton show, she has a fantastic episode of the Graham Norton show where she talks about this. Been to, I, mean, I should have been nominated, but I wasn't. I, I was very angry about it. It was a, a very good film called what? The Age of Innocence. Oh, yes. And I was marvellous in it. But, <laughs> <laughs> yes, you said, I remember. <laughs> I was. No, it was Warren Scorsese. It was a very posh film. And the reason that I wasn't nominated was because of Winona Ryder. And I don't like her. So I she, really... <laughs> she, she stole your Oscar nomination. But what happened was she was nominated as a supporting actress instead of being nominated as a leading actress. And if she jolly well kept herself to herself and and been a leading actress, they would have nominated me as a supporting. That bitch. Absolutely. I was was livid. I've heard she's very gassy as well. (laughs) I love her. Love her. But, like, again, she's not, like, the two forefront ladies of this movie, which is Judy Chench and Maggie Smith. Okay, so we should also mention, like, this is the year that Judy Dench got nominated for Mrs. Henderson Presents, which fully mm-hmm. to me, these two performances next to each other, it's because one of them was a Weinstein Co. movie. Right. And mm-hmm. the other was not. Because, like, this, per- I think it's a really good performance by Judy Dench, and certainly way better than Mrs. Henderson Presents, which is like, it was a Weinstein movie, and we would nominate Judy Dench for just about anything at this time. Mm-hmm. Well, but I think also, this is a very sort of quiet, restrained, sort of sad performance. And then Mrs. Henderson presents for all that, like, I don't love that movie, but, like, that's a movie about, like, a woman who runs a showgirl show. So it's just, like, I get why... World War II. Right. There's a lot of, like, elements for that that make it more... 
you know, uh, crowd-friendly and more, you know, it, it's an easier sell off of a screener pile than just, like, so these two sad sisters <laughs> and this Polish violinist, and it's, like, two guys, a girl, and a pizza place, but the pizza place is a violin, and it's, like, okay, I get it. <laughs> What's funny to me is that, as, you know, any anytime you say two sad sisters or any sad woman, that's the first movie I'm going to pick out of the Yes! Pile. Oh, totally. totally. Yeah. That's what the hours is, is three sad women. Like, yeah. dot, three dot, dot. Women. That's yeah. it. That's just like, you yeah. got me, you sold me. Yeah. yeah. So it's just so funny to me. It's like, it's like so alien to me that this isn't what people would be like naturally drawn to. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, but I have to say, especially if we're going to like get into the movie here, as far as like sad lady movies are concerned, like I don't feel like this was a rub the sad lady's nose in shit type of movie. Like no. I don't feel like this was look at this sad woman. It was just it, it I thought it was more respectful than that on a character basis. It I wasn't kept... like this maudlin thing yeah. that felt like it was exploiting her Sadness. I kept mm-hmm. being very worried for Judy Dench that something was going to happen that would embarrass her because she had these like very like pure and true feelings for Daniel Bruhl. She like Andrea. whatever like fell in love with him instantly, and I was just like, "Don't anybody stomp on Judy Dench's feelings and make her feel ashamed of this." And like the movie does a good job of like not doing that. Yeah, yeah, I, and I, and I and I think Maggie Smith's character Janet. I think she really, like, kind of her, even though she's sort of, like, the more curmudgeonly one. Right. Shocking. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, she she kind of, like, really understands her sister and sort of sees it coming and and protects her, you know? Mm-hmm. In a way that's, like, really interesting. And, again, you mentioned, like, of course, she's playing the curmudgeon one. Mm-hmm. This was in the middle between the time of Gosford Park, which made, like, Maggie Smith be everywhere again and it's during obviously the Harry Potter time but it's before Mm -hmm. Downton Abbey where it's like it truly actualized into this weird like brand for Maggie Smith Mm -hmm. yes yeah Um, but it doesn't overplay it no Um, no, I mean I do wish that Janet was more like centralized because it really feels more like Ursula's story Ursula Um, Ursula Ursula. yeah they really like hit that (laughs) second uh, you in that name for sure (laughs) But, like, in a way that we kind of take Maggie Smith for granted and we want to, like, chuckle at her being, like, a mean, curmudgeonly lady, like, this felt way more nuanced than that. And like you Mm -hmm. mentioned, it's, like, a lot of her arc is protecting her sister and, like, being very emotionally aware of the situation. Maggie Mm -hmm. Smith's roles throughout the 2000s, like, from, like, you're, you're right, like, that it started with... Gosford Park and Harry Potter in the same year that sort of like reignited the Maggie Smith thing because up until then I knew her from Sister Act which was still like curmudgeonly old lady fine um, but watching <laughs> watching her play the subtle differences in notes from like Professor McGonagall to um, her character in Gosford Park her character in Best Exotic Marigold movies, which is also, Mm -hmm. like, she's, you know, the grump, but there is, like, she plays slightly different notes, and just, like, it's all within the same concerto, essentially, but just, like, Mm -hmm. she really, it's really interesting to watch. She's just like, okay, I'm gonna be, like, slightly more this. Even, I I did, um... The, the supporting actress SmackDown on the film experience for 2001 semi-recently, and we talked about um, 
Gosford Park, obviously. And, like, the micro-differences between her character in Gosford Park and her character in Downton Abbey, which are essentially, like, her character in Downton Abbey exists because Gosford Park exists. Like, they, like right. that was Julian Fellows just sort of, like, porting over a lot of his ideas from that. But, like, just the sort of, like, slight and subtle differences between the two of them, I was just like, oh, you're really good at knowing you have a type and making it just, like, exciting for people to watch how you'll play that type, which I think is mm-hmm. cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think I think what makes her character so interesting is that they all have a reason to be why they are the way they are, yeah. and I think she really, like, I don't know, kind of hones in on that and makes you really, like, sort of empathize and understand them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, th- I think that's especially true for Judy Dench in this movie because it's not, you know, overly, I, I don't want to say sentimental, but, like, again, it's it's not embarrassing her. It's not, like, looking at her in judgment for falling in love with this man who she doesn't even speak the same language with. Right. Um, and, and, like, Judy Dench is usually a pretty subtle performer too like you could see a version of this story itself that is not as interesting as it ends up being if it's not as much of an understated performer as judy dench is which i don't think we really like appreciate even though judy dench is probably one of our most beloved performers right now Mm -hmm. or at least in the past 20 years definitely in terms of oscar and she's one who is like kind of the opposite of what I just described with Maggie Smith, where, like, I can buy Judy Dench in a lot of different scenarios, where it's just, mm-hmm. like, she, like, she fits perfectly as this type of character, she fits perfectly as, like, M in the Bond movies, but, like, also in, like, like Jane Eyre and Pride and Prejudice, where she's in Jane Eyre, right? She's in the Mia Vyskovska yes. and Jane Eyre, right? So, like, yes. sometimes she's a little bit more, um you know, imperious, and she can be sort of the matriarch and be a little scary, and sometimes she's just sort of, like, you know, goofy. Like, isn't she just sort of, like, impish Mm -hmm. in Chocolat? Like, I feel like I remember her being sort of, like, Mm -hmm. that. And, like, there's Mm -hmm. a lot of different... Um, she's sort of like the the Gene Hackman of British sort of like older women and just like I will buy you in any context because like you have like gravitas in all these sort of like areas and it's interesting it's like that's what makes it fun to watch her so well and it's like you mentioned with Maggie Smith too in that even if they're playing similar things they can do them like with small differences this is maybe a larger difference but like you can kind of see the thread of what she's doing in ladies in lavender in like notes on a scandal yes yeah um, yes. which is like the horror movie version of this yes yes. yeah totally um, yeah. so much life to live together you think this is a love affair a relationship well, sticky gold stars and, 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 and a strand of my hair and a receipt from pizza express it's a flat in the archway road and you think a virginia frigging wolf oh my god yeah like that now i'm imagining like, daniel yeah. brule just like being super mean to her and calling her a dried up old virgin and i'm just like no don't do it <laughs> oh god Daniel Bruhl, this is before, like, Daniel Bruhl became really an awards thing. Yeah. Because he had that movie, Goodbye Lennon, which was either a nominee or it was a shortlist for the foreign language category in its year. But this is pre-Nicky Lauda. Pre-Inglorious like, Bastards. Pre-Inglorious yeah. Bastards, but, like, you can see the trajectory of it there. That was the this first thing I had seen him in, was uh, 
was Inglorious Bastards, or at least the first thing I had like saw him in that like, oh, that is uh, that is Daniel Bruhl. Yeah, uh, Goodbye Lennon, not an Oscar nominee, but a Golden Globes nominee for Best Foreign yes. Language Film. Yes. Um, Did you guys also know uh, notice? toby jones in this movie of course yes <laughs> we'll always notice toby jones yeah absolutely toby jones will make sure I... that you notice toby jones <laughs> he's also in mrs henderson presents so oh the two judy yeah yeah it's a cinematic him universe and judy now. Had a big year yeah, yeah. <laughs> i will have Poor to Daniel say Bruhl, though that before he got shoehorned into constantly playing nazis though i will I say because his character's name is andrea he's polish this is another movie of women just yelling the name andrea into another room which <laughs> wait, makes me happy wait what else are we counting in that genre uh, devil wears prada oh <laughs> andrea oh, that's andrea. perfect <laughs> oh my god that's perfect. That's wonderful. That is perfect. Yeah, I... The devil wears lavender. <laughs> I think this movie does a good job with a very small cast. I love a movie that like gets, like, basically, like, everything you want out of its cast. Because, essentially, it's a three-person film with Dench, Maggie Smith, and Brule. And then, like, Miriam Margulies is there, like, to do her thing. And Natasha McElhone is there to, like, hate... Like, it's truly, I Natasha love the movie. Natasha is there to be essentially Gilda Radner as Barbara Walters. She literally, <laughs> in her German dialect at one point, says, Wee oui, oui. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, Bugs Bunny. <laughs> but I just love that she's just this willowy sort of artist or whatever, like, standing on the cliffs and painting. And, like, the David Warner character, the doctor, is just sort of, like, sort of fumbling all over himself, trying to sort of, like you know, strike up a conversation with her. And meanwhile, these two ladies in their little cottage are just, like, side-eyeing her 24-7. It's yes. so great. Yeah. I think I think at one point, um, Judy Dench says, she's like she's like a witch in a fairy tale. <laughs> what have they done anything? That's so great. But the movie does treat her with, like, suspicion in a way that yeah. I never really understood if her motives we're supposed to be bad or not? Like maybe just, that like, she's the my maybe one problem with the movie. Um, 100%. I, I just I just sort of feel I'm like, "Oh, she must just be like slutty and we don't know it." <laughs> See, I, it's, it's just not that movie to marinate in the sluttiness of her. Yeah. <laughs> I think that I think the movie treats her the way that the sisters see her, where it's like mm -hmm. even if she doesn't have ill intent and even if like she's not, you know, some sort of like foul temptress or whatever they can recognize that this is the vessel through which they're going to lose andrea to the world right like this is mm -hmm. the person who is going to ultimately take him away from them and so everything about her then becomes we sort of like see her through through all of these sort of like nasty lenses and i mm -hmm. like that it's the one I, I i will say i think i liked this movie a little bit less than you guys i think i found it a little bit um I don't want to say dull because that's like that sounds insulting, but like it didn't it didn't capture my attention as strongly. But like I think that was a filmmaking choice that I found to be pretty interesting. So like good on Charles Dance for that. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Mm -hmm. It's interesting this adaptation. I looked up um, the the author upon which his short story this was based, William J. Locke, and this was somebody who had like a ton of things adapted for the screen in, like, the 1920s and 30s. This was the first adaptation of anything that he had written since 1958. 
So, like, wow. it really was, like, Charles Dance sort of just, like, dusted something off from, like, this old sort of book, which I think is very interesting. Also... I mean, that's something I kind of just appreciate about this movie. Like, and this is, again, not to be, like, to belabor the obvious point, but, like, everything is so, like, aggressively plotted these days. Right. And, like, it has to feel so incredibly modern that, like, this felt like... I don't know, an oasis, like the type of thing that, not to say the cliche, but the type of thing they wouldn't make today. Yeah. Yeah, definitely true. Yeah, and I and I feel like a, a, there was sort of like in the mid-90s and kind of early 2000s, like there was a lot of movies that were just set in kind of like a small, like European, sort of like UK seaside town, like, you know, like Calendar Girls or Waking Ned Divine. Right. Um you know, and I, I love those movies. I'm just so inherently drawn to them. And I don't know why. I just think because they're sort of like quirky character studies. Um, There's like a casualness that, to these type of movies, too, mm, that can be really relieving. Yeah. There was another one that came out pr- like recently, like th- maybe three or four years ago. I saw it at TIFF with Fanula Flanagan. And she plays, hold on, I need to find the title of it. But she, yeah. she, she has all of her like life save. Basically she has all of her life savings, which is like a million dollars under her mattress. And then her family wanting to do something nice. were like, Oh, we'll get mom a new bed. And so they, when she's like away, they get rid of her bed and she comes home and she's like, Oh my God, my entire life savings was in that mattress. Oh no. And they, <laughs> Oh, it's <laughs> called, it's called life. It's called life's a breeze. <laughs> yes. It's called Life Yeah, Life's a Breeze. And then her and her granddaughter go on this kind of like odyssey to find the mattress. And um oh, it's, that's it adorable. has a very similar yeah, it's a very similar tone to like this movie or Waking Dead Divine that and I just hadn't seen a movie like that in quite a few years, so it was it was a treat. And uh and of course it has Fanula Flanagan who yeah. I'm sure I, I love, I'm sure you guys love. Oh, yeah. It's definitely worth worth seeking out. Fanola Flanagan I will always remember the most from the others, though. So it's like there's... Oh, yes. There's there's an essential spookiness to her, I always find, because of that. I love... Yeah, I love her in um, the Divine Secrets of the Yaya Sisterhood. Absolutely, her Her and her yellow convertible. Yeah, (laughs) she is. She's the she's the funnest one of that, right? She is the funnest one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Maggie Smith in that. I was gonna say, is Maggie Smith in that? It's Maggie Smith, Ellen Burstyn, Fanola Flanagan, and Shirley Knight. I want to say. I believe so. Yeah. Uh, Shirley Knight. We haven't done enough for Shirley Knight. We truly haven't. It's true. We truly have not. Do we feel... I wanted to throw this question out there now that we're talking about sort of like British movies in in the greater context of Oscar. Do we feel like we've sort of moved past that as like a thing i'm trying i'm thinking back to the like, bafta vote it's sort of it's just like the, the the like the year that the full monty was a best picture nominee right and that felt like and that was like a huge sensation it was like a crossover hit it was a sag winner for best ensemble and that was i mean it was a different time for the sag awards as well and mm. but like i miss i sort of miss the days when like britain could send over something perfectly lovely and sweet and not like too terribly like dramatic like obviously like they would send over things like Howard's End and The Crying Game too like the Mm -hmm. early 90s were sort of and of course the 80s were just full of British imports and it's not like we've stopped 
recognizing British films at the Oscars, but like it's a type of thing that sort yeah. of light. Well, it's also like frothy. a convergence, and people don't really mention it this way, but it's also a convergence of like British film and independent film happening at the same time. Yeah, and a lot of them like checking both boxes, right? Because mm-hmm. like I saw the latest. Um, Peter Catania movie, he's the director of the Fulmonti, um, at TIFF this year, and it's it's called Military Wives, and it's not as good as the Fulmonti, but like I'm just watching this movie and I'm just like, even at it's like it's it's a it's sort of a contemporary thing about um wives of of uh of soldiers in Britain sort of like doing what they have to do to sort of keep busy while their while their spouses are off at uh, are off at war. And mm-hmm. I was like, even the best possible version of this movie, I think just like that's not a path that Oscar voters are looking at anymore. And like, no, it's sort of a bummer. I'm trying to think of like in the 2000s, like what, if any movies like come even close to that kind of vibe. And I really even something like an education, but like an education is so much more dramatic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I th- I'm sort of thinking. My mind immediately goes to kind of like the mid 2000s when the Queen and the King's Speech were really big contenders. Sure. Yeah. I, but- like the British contingent movies aren't like these uplifting movies. These like lighter, uplifting, right. more casual movies. I think like even the British so- movie this year is 1917. Right. Which is that's a what I feel like. War movie. But even like, and I think when you're talking about things like the Queen and. Um, the King's Speech, I think you have to sort of now give them this sheen of importance where there are mm-hmm. matters of state to be dealt with. Even something like Philomena, which I think is the closest you come to something like this, but like Philomena ends up being like a serious plot about a woman trying to like come to terms with her like, you know, Magdalene convent past or whatever. And it's just like, mm-hmm. you just don't have the, I don't know. I don't know. There's something that I feel like we've lost, and it's kind of a bummer. I mean, maybe mm-hmm. we're just more prone to pick that with American movies, like thinking of something like Juno, even, yes. which Juno, I think, is way more serious than people give it credit for. But like mm-hmm. the way that it was approached by Oscar was that it was this light, uplifting, yeah. charming movie. But I remember like Waking Ned Divine, this is sort of what sent me down this path, Danita, as you mentioned Waking Ned Divine, because mm-hmm. that was a which movie... Which totally had Oscar buzz. That's the thing. It had a ton of Oscar buzz. I remember like even leading up to... That was 98, I feel like, right? And I feel like mm-hmm. yeah, that was that. 98 or 99, one of those years. And I remember be- people being like, is this going to be a sort of end-run best picture film? In the American context of that, I think that was also the vibe that My Big Fat Greek Wedding had. And mm-hmm. it's sort of instructive that that movie ended up getting, you know, shut out of... Although, if, if, that's a, if 2002 is a 10 best picture field, My Big Fat Greek Wedding is 100% a best yeah. picture nominee from that year. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But um, but that's sort of what I'm thinking of, and, and I just, I don't know, we don't have, we don't really have that. I guess A Little Miss Sunshine was an American version of that, right? Like, that's sort mm-hmm. of the vibe. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> no, I mean, like, that, it, that truly would be my answer, is, like, the British, like, I guess, crossover movies, though they don't feel like crossovers when they're handled by, like, Fox Searchlight. Yeah, you're right. Um, which I guess they always were, because that was Full Monty, right. that was Waking the Divine. Yeah. But, like, they tend to have more gravitas, for lack of a better word, and, like, 
the lighter comedic fare, we tend to vote for an American movie. Though I can't, I struggle to imagine what it is this year because I don't think even Jojo Rabbit qualifies for that. No. Maybe it's two mm-hmm. popes. Maybe it's two popes. Yeah, that's po- that's a possibility. I think two popes is so formalist though, where it's just like two popes, one room. You know what I mean? It's just sort of like right. it's very sort of like minimalist in that way. But it is like a, a truly once you see it. Like I was a little bit surprised by this, but it's actually like a lighter comedy for the most part. Oh, totally. In in terms of the tone, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is why I think people are underestimating its best picture chances as a nominee. <laughs> I don't know. The British whole, like, the British vote type of thing in recent years, and I'm struggling to come up with a good example for it, but, like, it's seen as it's kind of losing its oomph that it had. Like, it had Mm -hmm. maybe a 20-year run that has kind of ended. Yeah. We'll see what happens with 1970. I feel like there was a conversation about that last year, and now I'm looking at the ballot, and I'm trying to think of where it would have coalesced around sometimes it's well i guess olivia coleman right? i mean olivia people coleman. were using that as a thing of like the favorite got 10 nominations and only one for olivia coleman i don't know if it's necessarily a british contingent vote though like bafta gave the favorite way more prizes or at least they yeah. at least gave rachel vice the prize um i don't know like that to me seems more like spreading the wealth than that you know that's true, except that, like, Olivia Coleman is such more of a thing in England, and... True. Mm-hmm. I don't know, I feel like that, for her to triumph in that category last year, with so much of the narrative going oh. other places in that category, even down to, like, Yelitsa Aparicio, and I'm sure that, like, the spreading of the votes in that category was, like, a big part of how mm-hmm. Olivia Coleman was able to win. But, like, I do feel like, at the very least, that there was a surge of support behind her. It feels like that, you know, the British aren't dead yet. You know what I mean? Like, they haven't yeah. fully lost their yeah. influence, which is good. If they could have used that influence to get Richard E. Grant a supporting actor Oscar, that would have been maybe even better. But, like, whatever. I'll take what I can get. Agreed. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, like, this uh, this year, again, I don't think is going to be the best, like, case example for it. But, like, in 05, it's still pretty interesting. Let me look at the Oscar year and see what, like, the British movie would have been. Because it's certainly not Mrs. Henderson Presents. No. Although, for a while there, it seemed like it that that might have been. That that seemed like it was at least lurking as a possibility. Cause I remember, it's like, like it's the type of thing that like just to use Judy Gents as the example, like where people consider <clears throat> like a Philomena is getting in there because of a large contingent of a British vote. Right. The interesting when you look at two thousand five from like a British angle, um this was like the year that like Woody Allen went British. And I feel like that oh. was <laughs> such a thing with like match point, and yes. I remember like match point mm-hmm. was sort of a divisive movie beyond the like we didn't that was a time when Woody Allen wasn't really all that divisive nobody was really talking about him mm-hmm. as but like I remember people like, yeah, like liked Match that movie Point and was didn't seen like as like a return to form I really like Match Point I will say um I haven't I seen too. it in a I while um I loved Scarlett Johansson in that movie that's one of like the many I think we sort of started to talk about that last week um the sort of like the Scarlett Johansson 2019 Oscar narrative is is at some point going to probably end up being built on a lot of 
at some point, some of these people are going to talk about how many like great performances she's had already, mm-hmm. and she's never been nominated for any of them. And I think Match Point is certainly one of the closest, like it's among the closest brushes she's had with getting an Oscar nomination. Mm-hmm. Because she got the Golden Globe nomination, I'm pretty sure, that year. And she did. That got a screenplay nomination, like that kind of thing. But it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of. Like, Mrs. Henderson Presents seems like the most like clearly British of the stuff that was in contention. The BAFTA prizes are pretty, or like at least the lineup is very close to what Oscar went with, though they leaned a little bit heavier into, like, The Constant Gardener, which, I mean, again, is another Fernando Moraes movie that has, like, a British feel to it. That's true. That's, that's, like, the major difference that's kind of standing out to me. This was the year that Um, Wallace and Gromit won the Best Animated Feature, so that's pretty British. Hey. Mm -hmm. Very British. Went around that about i don't know thinking of this oscar year at least like obviously the love story in the best picture lineup is like brokeback mountain but then everything else is so broodingly macho down Mm -hmm. to like crash and even capote a movie that i really really love is like not in the same vein as Ladies Mm -hmm. in Lavender. I'll tell you one British movie that really could have brightened up that year's Oscars and in a way that would have been fully deserving is the Joe Wright Pride and Prejudice, which was that year. Which should have been nominated, like, across all categories as far as I'm concerned. Like, Well, because that movie, like, when it opened, it kind of fell away and then it had, like, this resurgence closer to nomination time. Yeah, because, like, Kira Knightley was seen as somewhat of a surprise. Well, I think the fact that... I think Kira Knightley sort of felt like she sort of held on. And I'm, try, I'm trying to think of who the other contenders would have been that year. But I remember, like, both Kira Knightley and Charlize Theron felt like they sort of weathered whatever, you know, mm-hmm. storm it was from other contenders to hold on and to, you know, maintain those nominations. And... I think that Pride and Prejudice, it was, I remember it being sort of an uphill climb for people to acknowledge that something special had been done with that movie without, like, mm-hmm. totally reinventing. Like, Joe Wright's Anna Karenina. It still was that. also, like, standing in the shadow of the BBC miniseries right. at that time, which, like, right. now I think we can consider them in tandem, but, like, the hardcore fans were abrasive to this movie even existing. Yeah, and and if not, and even, like, the sort of thawing of that, it took, like, a while. And I think if you look at, like, it's interesting to think of, like, Joe Wright's Anna Karenina, which has also got a bunch of nominations, and I think one, two? Costumes. Costumes and, was that it? Did Marianelli win for that, or no? I don't think so, but God, that's so good. No, because it was Life of Pi that won score that year. Sorry. Anna Karenina is such a clear reinvention of that text, and I think what makes Pride and Prejudice almost more impressive is that he's able to inject so much like life and liveliness into that movie, and the cast obviously does a huge part of that too, without like reinventing. He doesn't do any like, oh, this is the Pride and Prejudice that takes place in... Tulsa, or you know what I mean, or something like that. It's just like it's it's very much the text, but it just you know it makes it come alive. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Looking at this best actress lineup, I will say I like it a lot better if you swap out Junie Dench's two roles. Mm-hmm. 
Like, make that nomination for Ladies in Lavender, and I, I could stand by this Best Actress lineup in much more. Yeah. 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 Which we've talked about this Best Actress lineup before, but... I think a lot of people sort of, like, brush off that Charlize Theron nomination for North Country. And, like, North Country yeah. is a movie that, like, doesn't fully succeed. But, like, I think both of those actress nominations that it got, Theron and Frances McDormand, I think they're both so good. Yeah. That movie's just, like, kind of marinating in all of the awfulness of it in a way that I feel like exploits the actors. Yeah. But, again, she's great. Mm -hmm. Danita, where do you come down on the 2005 Best Actress category? Who were you supporting? What is the... Let me... What is the lineup? It's Reese Witherspoon, one. Yes. Charlize Theron for North Country. Felicity Huffman for Transamerica. Judi Dench for Mrs. Henderson Presents. And Kira Knightley for Pride and Prejudice. Yeah, I think that's a pretty solid lineup. I've never been, like, a big Jane Austen adaptation person, and I'm not really, like, a Kira Knightley person either. I love her in Atonement, but that's kind of it. Um, but, I no, I think that's a pretty solid lineup. I think some of the perception is that, like, the bench wasn't considered as deep that year, and that's why people consider it so weak. Well, and mm-hmm. also the fact that Felicity Huffman's performance in Transamerica is not something that a lot of people relish talking about anymore for like a lot of understandable reasons. I think that was a performance that was well-intentioned and I think empathetically performed and impressive, but I feel like it happened before, sort of like at the tail end of a time when it was acceptable, maybe not necessarily because you look at, like, when Transparent debuted and that was, like, almost ten years after this. But, like, I think that the evolution of the way that we present trans characters, especially trans characters played by cisgender actors, had a a sort of meteoric, sort of, like, a very steep incline from after Transamerica, right? So, like, Transamerica seems so much more dated now than simply mm-hmm. a 14-year-old movie, I think, because mm-hmm. of that. And I think maybe and that's one of the it's not just, reasons. like, on a performance level, but, like, some of the narrative choices in that movie feel exploitive in a way that maybe it was well-intentioned at the time, but, right. like, now it's not a choice that anybody should be making. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that ultimately, I think that's, you know that's progress the fact that that movie does seem so dated is ultimately a good thing for the way we you know yeah depict things now but yeah and i also feel like this category i think because reese witherspoon's career sort of developed the way that it did i think there's i think there's a little bit of looking back on her winning for walk the line a performance that is good but i don't think anybody today would sort of like look back at that and feel like it's revelatory and or it should be her oscar right that's the thing but like it's just like for me reese's oscar is like the quintessential right performer at the right time in the right movie because it's 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 more about who this person is and what the type of project they're in than the performance itself but the flip side to that coin i will say as a sort of reese super fan that i am she should have an oscar by now and the right movie to have that oscar for by now is wild but like the academy wasn't even if she hadn't won an oscar by then the academy still wouldn't have given her an Oscar that year, um, for several reasons. One of them being like that was very much Julianne Moore's year, I think. And 
and also the fact that the Academy just didn't go for Wild the way they should have. Um, so I think is my choices are Reese Witherspoon has an Oscar for Walk the Line, even though I don't think it's the movie she should have an Oscar for, or it's 2019 and Reese Witherspoon doesn't have an Oscar, and I'm just like pissed every day and I don't know why. Like Sandra Bullock and Crash. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'll take Reese having the Oscar. So we'll see. I am angry all the time, and I don't know why. I will yeah, say. I think. I think I, go ahead. Sorry. No, no I was ahead. just gonna say. I think. I think there was no way that Reese wasn't going to get the Oscar that year. And, and I think I think she's pretty deserving in Walk the Line. And I think it was like, you know, she was this, I don't know, America's sweetheart type figure up yeah. until that point. And, and she still is, of course. But I think Walk the Line really ushered her into, like, the serious actress phase. And I... I, I don't know. I, I'm happy she has that Oscar. I think it's a good performance. I think part mm-hmm. of me is, like, her her thing is that she's such a star that, like, it feels yeah. weird to me that, she, that her Oscar is for a movie that it's not, like, fully her film. Like, she has to yeah. share that film with Joaquin yeah. Phoenix, and I'm just like, I want her to have an Oscar for a movie that's all I hers. know, and I, I know, and I just think that's, like, a bigger conversation about, like, yeah. women's stories. Absolutely. You know? mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Which, I mean, like, I will also say because, like, Wild is a women's story as well, and, like, yeah. I'm in agreement that that should be her Oscar, but yes, I also yeah. feel less... Uh, torn about it because I have the utmost certainty that she has another one of those in her. Oh, I hope so. I truly do Um, hope so. I don't know. I mean, I was definitely uh, Madeline McKenzie is the best performance on Big Little Lies. Oh, me too. Definitely. Um, But, so maybe that's just my bias. I am am Reese Hive through and through, so you don't have to sell me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We will see about uh, The Morning Show, which I have not yet watched, even though it debuted yesterday as of this recording. Everything I'm hearing about that show is like, oh, it's not a good show, but I'm really excited to watch another episode. (laughs) And I'm just like, okay, like, maybe we can just say that those shows are like good then maybe we just like if it's right. a show you want to watch maybe we don't have to feel bad about it i don't know right to loop it back to our ladies not in lavender but apparently in lavender i <laughs> the poster for this movie by the way is the biggest fraud and that like it takes this movie that's why i thought it was red hat ladies well but it takes this movie that like fully it does not have a lavender color palette and like sp- Splashes it with just this, like it's like they lavender. went on a color run, and all of a sudden yeah. they're back from the color run, and it's all just like lavender on them, and it's just like you don't look like that in the movie. Someone painted this poster. Yeah, so. I mean, I guess it's 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 the short story called "Ladies in Lavender." Oh, right. I wonder if there's more. I wonder if there's more lavender in the short story. That's very. There possible. has to be, right? Some, there has to be. <laughs> somebody dig up William J. Locke and ask him what's going on here. What happened? <laughs> Oh, man. Though, like, I will say, we should note that, like, they certainly are, like, outsider predictions to be nominated together this year because, let's not forget, Old Denturonomy is on its way. (laughs) It'll be about a month away from this episode airing. And then there's also, like, I don't, I mean, here's the thing about Downton Abbey, especially in terms of Maggie Smith. Like, I don't necessarily think that that is going to be a thing, like... But I think that that is the nomination that, like, nobody's predicting that, like, all of a sudden she's going to show up at the Globes. I absolutely. And then show up at SAG and BAFTA. 
and be an Oscar. It's gonna what it's gonna be is somebody's gonna be making Golden Globes predictions, or even like if she misses a Golden Globes, then like SAG predictions, and gonna be like, huh, like weird that Maggie Smith had Oscar buzz for Downton Abbey. That's over now. And then the next morning, it's just gonna be like Maggie Smith nominated for Downton Abbey, and people are gonna be surprised. And I'm gonna be like, you shouldn't be surprised. You shouldn't have been surprised. Like people love her. People love her in this role. The fact that. She that Downton Abbey was nominated for best ensemble at SAG for like every single one of its seasons. I'm like, mm-hmm. SAG freaking loves that actress in that role. Like, it will be a big surprise to me if she doesn't get nominated for a SAG for Downton Abbey the movie. Right. Especially because it was early and SAG favors earlier in the calendar. Yes. But I will also say, and like, I know not everybody like follows the money and doesn't think that money is a thing, but like, Downton Abbey is our beloved focus features highest grossing film <laughs> ever. It is a hundred million dollars stateside, almost at least. And like it's looking like it's their most it could be their most viable shot for multiple Oscar name nominations, or possibly. Um That's why. So I don't know. I I, 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 it, it, I think it's smart to keep that movie at least on the predictions periphery. Now I want to go look up what Focus Features' top five box office movies are, but Box Office Mojo is a freaking disaster. A disaster. Burn it down and start so it new. can't even do that. But but yeah, um, Downton Abbey passed Brokeback Mountain as their highest grosser. It's amazing. I just go- I just Googled. I know, I know Maggie Smith has an Oscar for Prime and Miss Jean Brody, which... I love, um, but I, I wasn't sure if she had any other Oscars. So does Maggie Smith have an Oscar? And one of the like automated searches <laughs> is does <laughs> does Maggie Smith have cancer? <laughs> oh no! Well, because she had breast cancer, I believe I believe it was breast cancer, and it is I believe she has come out the other side and is in remission. Thank but God. the other one is does Maggie Smith have a glass eye? Oh, interesting. <laughs> like it, does she, it, like does she have a glass eye in like a Harry Potter like a some like I don't know I don't think no, so I think Goggle doesn't. What I do think is interesting about Maggie Smith in terms of Oscar is that Gosford Park one, which like kind of recatapulted her into the cultural consciousness and as like an awards player, is actually her last Oscar nomination. Yeah, which makes sense when you say it but like when I looked up her Oscar nominations I was surprised by that Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it just comes down to Harry Potter and Downton Abbey kind of taking up all the time though how dare you disrespect the cordit like that Uh, (laughs) the cordit the cordit uh, um, I think think Maggie Smith is such an interesting actress because I think in the 90s we know her from these like silly comedies like Sister Act and the First Wives Club and she just played these sort of like grumpy older women and I think that's probably like all that was available to her at that time Um, and so you know I think when you're looking at any sort of like woman's career you just you feel so robbed because they're never given the the roles that they deserved Mm -hmm. and I like that she's kind of come back you know yeah. I mean, I do think Marigold Hotel was probably a close call, and maybe if that movie hadn't really started campaigning until late in the game, really. The thing about... It was like, oh, this movie's stuck around in terms of awards, so we'll try now. The thing about the best exotic Marigold Hotel movies, for Maggie Smith specifically, is that she, her most Oscar-baity 
performance is in the second one because that's the one where mm-hmm. like everybody flip past if you don't want spoilers for best exotic marigold hotel but like <laughs> the she, second best exotic right, marigold she hotel. dies in the second one and so um right yes yes she, yes, yes yeah yeah you're right um and so i feel like that's the one where like there's so much sentiment with her weirdly i think judy dench is the one who should have been nominated for best exotic marigold hotel because i think that's the mm-hmm. one where like she's the real star of that one um but yeah, I think you're right in that like at least those movies were the closest that a Maggie Smith movie has come to to Oscar success in a while. I also want to just throw it out there. If anybody is planning a movie marathon cuz you know I love movie marathons, if anybody wants to do a Maggie Smith triple feature of lady movies, which would be Ladies in Lavender, My Old Lady and The Lady in the Van, perfect. Do it and then <laughs> like let us know cuz like I've never seen My Old Lady, which is her and uh, Kevin Klein. Kevin Klein. Kevin Klein, and my, the only Scott man Thomas. I like. <laughs> the only man. <laughs> the one good can man. I, can I yeah. take the two seconds to say when this movie cuts to all of the heterosexual men in the bar and they're immediately <laughs> like talking about gross things, I yeah. verbalize. I, involuntarily said no out loud. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I don't want to be here. Take me back to the beach with yeah. my ladies not in lavender. I will say I yeah. did see Lady in the Van, which is um, from the from the people who brought you the History Boys, weirdly, uh, Alan Bennett and Nicholas Heitner, um, give you a story of Maggie Smith as the Lady in the Van. It is not a good movie, I will say, for that much, but... As part of a triple feature of lady movies for Maggie Smith, I will allow it. Mm-hmm. And that Very was the last good. movie she made before um, Downton Abbey. So, mm-hmm. I do think we will get another Judy Dench nomination. Oh, I think at so. some point. I just I hope that we get a Maggie Smith one, especially one that's not Downton Abbey. Do you remember but when like, the story was that Judy Dench was going blind and we were going to have to like give yeah. her an Oscar before she went blind? Was that totally not true? She's already she's got four more movies. movies in the can yeah. that are not right. Cats. That yeah. has to be like that has to have been a hoax yeah. or something. And I, I think it was a hoax, and I remember just being so upset because, like, at that, I think it was like peak James Bond time for her, and I was like, yeah, I'm like, I'm not going to see a James Bond movie, so I'm never going to see Judy Dench in a movie well, again. And, and then they really wrote upset. her out of the Bond movies. They like and yeah. gave like M this like great send off. And I was like, oh, maybe it's true, because, like... She has been fairly open about, like, she has trouble memorizing her lines, so she wears an earpiece now. And I think at a certain point in her career, it made her feel a certain kind of way. But, like, clearly she's still working her ass off. Yeah, Yeah, and she didn't mention it during um, Tea with the Dames, so... Mm -hmm. I still have to see Tea with the Dames. Isn't that crazy that I haven't seen that It's on Hulu! I know. (laughs) It's so she, charming. It's so I good. didn't even know this was happening, but I am now very excited for this. There is a new Blythe Spirit adaptation happening, and she's playing Madame Arcati. That seems like a safe potential for an Oscar yeah. nomination. Okay, I... Lansbury just won a Tony for that. That's true. All right, I found a quote from Judy Dench speaking to um, a publication called Surrey Life, which, awesome, I love you, England, so much, um, <laughs> where she said... Um, 
she was asked what ambitions she hopes to fill, and she says, I just want to go on being mobile, really, and being able to do things. I'm not going to be beaten by my eyes, for instance. I have macular degeneration, which means treatment every six weeks, but you just have to settle for it. So she has a condition, but it doesn't sound like she's going blind, like, immediately. It feels like a thing that she's treating. So, yeah. Right, right. We love you, Judy Dench. We love you. We adore you. Uh, Have you guys seen... This Artemis Fowl movie that is apparently Woof. still coming out. Yeah, the picture, the the po- the picture of her in costume as some type yep. of bug lady. Yeah, it's my, it's maybe horrifying. some of my favorite Judy Dench <laughs> content because, like, clearly, I am just happy that she is having a good ass time in yep. whatever this bad movie will be. Yeah. What an odd, like, I just, yeah, with the, yeah, she's got, like, those, like, bug goggles and also pointy <laughs> ears and, like, but it seems like she's, like, it seems like one of those stills from when they did, like, Divergent movies or whatever, where, like, I am the leader totally. of the resistance, like, come here and you will have sanctuary or whatever. And or it could just as easily be a still from a skit of Judy Dench hosting <laughs> SNL. And, like, there's some weird, like, franchise skit. Apparently she's a gender-swapped fairy. Stop it, I love it. Ugh. Gender-swapped fairy commander. Judy Dench, our new queen of gender-neutral <laughs> casting, between that and Old Deuteronomy. I love it. <laughs> Um, one last thing on Judy. Has either one of you seen Red Joan? No. I want to see no. it. I almost saw it at TIFF last year, and I didn't. Um, I'm pretty sure that it is on Netflix or Hulu. Yeah, right? It's, like, available somehow. I should see it. I stay pretty clear of, like, spy movies. I see. So. Because you yourself are a spy and you don't want to, like, give right. anybody ideas. Yeah, okay. I got it. I thought I could be remembering this wrong, but my memory was that I'd been told that she's almost not even the lead of the movie because most of the movie occurs in flashbacks of her younger self is really the lead of the movie. That is some horseshit. Right. (laughs) I come for Judy Dench as a spy. I don't give a crap about anybody else. (laughs) Damn it. Can I say one thing about Charles Dance? The of director of this movie. Yeah. So Charles yeah, Dance, and like whatever, most people do know him, as Chris said, from um, Game of Thrones, but he was also in a Meryl Streep movie in the middle of the 80s called Plenty. And right. had like. With Tracy Allman. With Tracy Allman, and had like spoken publicly about like he and Meryl like did not really get on on set in terms of like their acting styles and whatnot. And so. When Meryl got the AFI tribute that one year, remember the one where, like, um, Nora Ephron had that fantastic yep. speech about, like, if you're ever having a bad day, have Meryl play you? Um, yep. <laughs> highly recommended to go watch any Nora Ephron speech from any AFI tribute. The Mike Nichols one is great. Um, the Meryl Streep one, as I just mentioned, is great. But Tracy Ullman gives a fantastic speech at the, the Meryl Streep AFI tribute where she talks about the two of them on a plane ride home from filming Plenty and how it almost crashed and got yes, yes, but they, yes, she yes. says as part of the story she's like you and I were gossiping about this one actor she's like if there's one actor on any and on any production you hate and you just you, we just hated him and she's like I'll never say who I think one of our most memorable and poignant moments together was at the end of filming Plenty <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and we were on our way home from Tunisia on a 
crowded flight, yes. sipping champagne, and we were laughing at somebody that you and I know who we were laughing at. We're not mentioning any names here. Ooh, there's always one actor you hate on a production. Oh, I hate him, I hate him, I hate him. <laughs> I'm not saying who it was, ever. And um, we were bitching about him, and so you guess what happens? An engine blew on the plane. And the other one cut out, and we began to descend, and the lights went off, and a young air stewardess started crying, which is never a good sign. <laughs> and after the initial screams, we both went very pale, and we held hands, and we became reflective. And <laughs> you said, oh, damn, that... That woman who's writing that horrible, unauthorised biography on me will have a terrific ending, Peanut. <laughs> and I thought, oh, God, I'm definitely going to get second billing here, Trace. <laughs> you know, I could see the headlines, you know, screen, legend, streep in Tunisian air disaster. Also aboard, limey comedienne... <laughs> ..Stacey Pullman. And I remember I had um, mentioned that thing to Nick Davis, our friend Nick Davis, former guest. And he's like, oh, yeah, it's about Charles Dance. And he like pointed me to that quote about like how he and Meryl didn't get along. And I'm just like, so yeah. ever since then, all I can think of when I think of Charles Dance in a movie is just sort of like Meryl hated you. like, yeah. And Tracy we Ullman hated you. can take Ladies in Lavender as his penance. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, I guess, is this the only movie he's directed? Yes. No. Wait. Actually. Yeah. No. Oh, is there one more? Oh, he has one. There's coming. other credits. He... I just forget. No, it's director, two credits, ladies in lavender, and then he's in pre-production for the Inn at the Edge of the World. Sure. I will absolutely see that movie on title alone. <laughs> yeah. Do we know who's in that? Has that been um, cast? Joanna Lumley. All right. Uh, yep, I'm seeing that. <laughs> yeah. Like, wow, Chris. Weirdly, Chris is already in line for that movie. That's fantastic. Yep. I'm recording this outside of an AMC. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So this was this is his his ladies and laughters is one foray into into directing. Interesting. Which is this is like the story that compelled him. <laughs> yes, he dug it out of the old mothballs and was just like, I'm you, I he am. did it as penance for being a dick to Meryl. <laughs> right. Yep. Perfect. Well, this this movie reminds me a lot of of another Meryl Streep movie, Dancing at Lunasa. There we go. Thank you yeah. for telling yeah. us how to pronounce. I was going to say I really butchered it the one time, and people got on my case, and rightly so. Sorry, Ireland. Um, <laughs> Lunasa makes sense. Not, I've never yes. seen that movie, and probably would like to. I think it's very similar to Ladies in Lavender, and really? it's and it's a movie that I loved when I first saw it in in high school and I and I think again it's just one of those things where I was so hungry for women's stories that I just took anything but that's about like a bunch of sisters right like a yeah, lot it's of about them. I think f yeah four four or five sisters this is sort of what I expected together. ladies in lavender to be like a little bit more yeah. about like lots of them you know what also this reminded me of is another movie that I haven't seen I this kept reminding me of movies I haven't seen but would like to is the whales of august the yeah. um whatever the yeah. uh Betty Davis and Lillian mm -hmm. Gish movie yes, from like yes, the late yes. 80s that got like one nomination for Anne Southern and yep. um, I should go and I should watch The Wales of August 
That would be a great double bill, the Whales of August and Ladies, and Ladies and Lavender. Okay, somebody do that for real. Somebody yeah. program that at some yeah. dying New York theater that it'll be like, that'll be the last weekend before it closes up shop. Like, I want. Yeah. <laughs> it'll just close it right down. I love it. It'll be the three of us and a couple of other elderly homosexuals. Vincent Price is in that movie. Like, come on. Who are you to resist it? What? Mary Steenburgen? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I guess to put a bow on, like, the Oscar conversation for this movie is, like, I think this comes down a little bit to distributor, and I think some other people, like, don't necessarily take much stock in that. But, like, you can imagine if this was a Miramax movie, even in, like, 04, or if, like, a a Searchlight had this movie, that it would have been able to make more Mm -hmm. traction, and instead it ended up being, like, a, well, there's also Ladies in Lavender type of, like, prediction movie. Am I wrong? Like, do you think, like, this movie maybe is still too, like, gentle for that if somebody else had distributed it? I don't know if it's too gentle, but I I do think that in another kind of, like, another timeline, um, Judi Dench and Maggie Smith definitely would have been nominated, I think, for this film, I think. I think you know they're two they're two dames and they're and I I feel like I don't know everyone loves when like two dames or you know two sort of like prestige actors get together to make a movie it's like a big thing mm-hmm. so the fact that like this wasn't a bigger thing um, I think you're right I think it comes down to yeah distributor I think this is the kind of movie that if a distributor gets it into their plans that they want to make an Oscar run for this movie, you could. You would just, you would sell Mm -hmm. it on Dench and Maggie Smith and you would maybe like focus Mm -hmm. on one of them and just be like, all right, now we're going to corral all the like rave reviews for Judy Dench's performance and we are going to turn it into like, this is the like critical triumph of the year and whatnot. And you would just sell it. You would just be like, you know, nobody has seen, (laughs) nobody's seeing this movie, but like, whatever, like you should see it. And it's going to play at your art house for two months and just do it. Which is exactly like how this movie made that type of money. Yeah. Like it always seems like there's a movie that's like expanding throughout the month of May. Yeah. That's for a certain audience that always makes a good amount of money like this plays the dearly Mm -hmm. departed Paris theater. Although maybe Netflix is going to maybe revive the Paris in New York city, which I really hope that they do. Um, Marriage story is playing there now, correct? Marriage story. I don't know if anything's playing there right exactly now, but I think the plan is for marriage story to play there. Mm. I could be wrong. I haven't passed by there in a second. Actually, maybe I'll check my Fandango. Anyway, the idea is that they, that Netflix is in talks to, possibly um, buy it, because it just got recently shut down, one of the latest of, like, the single-screen movie houses in New York City that, like, all have great nostalgia appeal and look beautiful, Mm -hmm. and... I need you to confirm for me that Ladies in Lavender played at the... (laughs) That's what what I'm literally trying to do, because, like, it it absolutely (laughs) must have. Like, it absolutely must have. Um, I wonder if they have that. Paris Theater Manhattan. While you're looking yes. that up, I will also mention, because it is essential information to this podcast, Judy Dench was nominated for an AARP movie for Grown Up <laughs> Best Actress Prize. And she lost to another dame, Joan Plowright, for Mrs. Palfrey at the Claremont. Um, <laughs> yes, this lineup is wonderful to me. It was also Leave Oldman for Sarabond, Meryl Streep for Prime, and Shirley MacLaine for In Her Shoes. Shirley MacLaine oh. in Best Actress, Not Supporting Actress. 
I feel like the AARP awards should like be my Oscars. Like those are the movies I care about. <laughs> oh, you can stream it online. I live streamed oh it or I live tweeted it last year, Danita. I need to. We will watch it together and I will be texting you during this. Great. That's all I've ever wanted. It is actually kind of a fun show to watch. Yeah. I will be completely honest. But yeah, like not a single Best Actress Oscar nominee in that lineup. Yeah. Which um, is always wonderful from AARP. I feel like we've talked about that AARP Best Actress lineup before. We very well I may have. Yeah. Um, I should confirm Marriage Story is going to be playing at the Paris Theater in New York City starting on Wednesday. Wednesday the 6th. So it'll probably be whatever in your rear playing view. Playing but... as this episode drops. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, love it. Anyway. Anyway, any last words on Ladies in Lavender before we move on to the IMDb game? Justice for Dorcas. <laughs> Always justice for Dorcas. That's it. That's all I got. <laughs> that I mean, I think that's a good a good note to end it on. <laughs> all of the scenes of men in this movie that are not Andrea um, are a nightmare. You're gonna totally <laughs> make me really terrible. Gross. Now I'm gonna have to go clip. Um, Miranda Priestly saying Andrea and put it in every time you mention Andrea. Andrea. <laughs> All right. So, Joe, would you like to explain to the listeners what the IMDb game is? Hey, I would like nothing more than to explain to the listeners what the IMDb game is. Every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game, where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try and guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television or voiceover work, we mentioned that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue. If that is not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints because we love free free for alls freeze for all what is the plural of a free for all you tell us listeners freeze free fours all shit ton of hints and yes yes, so that's it that's how we play all right how do we want to do this because we have our guest uh round robin style why don't we do i have one picked out interestingly enough i have one picked out to give to danita and one picked out to give to chris so chris how about we have our guests choose danita would you like to give to joe or give to me oh um i i'll give to you okay all right yeah so we will do that and then joseph i will give to you you will give to danita yes all right and danita would you like to give first guess first or observe first Ooh, I would like to observe first. Okay. All right, so Joseph, I have a challenge for you. Okay. Uh, we have talked a little bit about the Best Exotic Marigold Hotel in this movie, or in this episode. Yes. However, as we were talking about ladies of the movie, I have, however, unfortunately chosen a man from those An movies. inferior and masculine performer, I see. A man who is on the poster for the movie, an actor that I actually quite like, Mr. Bill Nye. I thought you were going to give me Dev Patel. Okay. Um, I love. He's not on the poster for the movie. Love Bill Nye. Okay. <sighs> he gives you a lot of avenues. I to will go say down. there is one television oh. item. All right. But it is not a television show. This is it a TV movie? Yeah. Gideon's... I don't think he's ever done a TV show. Gideon's Daughter? He's, but he's done several television movies. It is not Gideon's Daughter, no. He won a Golden Globe for that, I believe, or maybe. Emily Blunt won a Golden Globe for that? Something like I that. I think they both did. Lovely. I've never seen it. Okay, so not that. 
all of his Golden Globes have been, all of his nominations at the Globes have been for television. For television. That's interesting. Okay. Um, well, if it's not that, I'm going to put a pin in that and leave that for last. Love Actually. Love Actually. Okay. Um, is it the Harry Potter movie that he's in? Deathly no, Hallows he is Part in one? Deathly Hallows Part two. Part 2. It is not. No. Uh, no, he's in a couple. The last the last two or three? Yeah, no. Yeah. He, I was uh, mistaking him for Kieran Hines. He is in, I believe, Half-Blood Prince. Okay. Re- but it is not that. So you're getting your years. Yes, oh god. 2006, okay. 2013, and TV is 2011. Not sure if that'll help you. Mm, it's tough with British stuff, right? Um... Correct. 2013, 2006. Gosh. I think you're forgetting a certain franchise he was in. The un- is Underworld? Is it the Underworld movies? It is none of the Underworlds, not the one where it is snowing, not the one where <laughs> she is a gargoyle. Mm-hmm. It is not an Underworld. But he's in a franchise. He is in a franchise. And not Harry Potter... Or besides Harry Potter. He was a major component of this movie's Oscar campaign, but not really for his performance. Oh, I don't know what that means. Um, You'll know exactly what it is when you know what the movie is. Is it that he's... But it's not a voice, right? It's a... No. It's not a voice, but it's a CGI? Yes. Um... This is not a franchise that we look back at fondly. <laughs> Very much wore out its welcome. Oh, golly. In addition to star issues. In addition to star issues. 2006. Was this like... Was he in the entire franchise? Or was he just in like one movie? He of was in... I will say he's in the second and the third movie. Oh, Oh, I don't think he sticks around. It's that. Pirates of the Caribbean. So 2006 yes. would be the second one, which is called Dead, Dead Man's, Man's Chest. Chest. Yeah. Okay. Correct. As Davy Jones. So 2013 and 2011. 2011 is your television title. I will say 2013 is a movie that you really like. But Pride is 2014. Correct. He's great. 2013 is a movie that I have not seen, and I have tried to get us to do an episode on it just so I can watch it. <laughs> okay. Um Oh, I saw this movie at the New York Film Festival. Um it's about time. About time? What was that New York Film Festival? Interesting. Yeah, cuz Katie Rich and I saw it together and Katie did not like it. Um okay. shout out Katie. I remember. I will never forget. Yes, About Time. It's lovely. It's wonderful. He plays the dad. He's the best. It's so nice. 2011, the television title. I will say it is one of his Golden Globe nominations. The poster on IMDb is him and another actress who conceivably has done a lot of television work in Britain, however, was an acting nominee last year. An acting nominee last year for TV or for... No, she was an Oscar nominee last year. Oh, okay. Um, Olivia Colman. No. Not Lady Gaga, probably not yes, Glenn Close. Bill Nye and Lady Gaga, famously <laughs> doing British movies. Melissa McCarthy, probably not Emma Stone. Regina King? You're missing a key British actress nominated last year. Oh, oh, oh. 
Rachel Vice. Yes. Uh, why don't I know I'm this? Pull up whatever this movie is that also stars Rafe Fiennes. Um, Wait, really? Yes, it stars Rafe Fiennes, Michael Gambon, Judy Davis is apparently in this movie. Felicity Jones is in this movie. What the fuck? Is this like... Um, um, like... It's an MI5 movie. Oh. Ugh. I don't think you're going to get this. Do you want me to say what it is? Yes. It is called Page 8. It was nominated for a Golden Globe for Bill Nye. I do vaguely recall that title. Page 8. That's like... um, Judy Davis was nominated for an Emmy. That's like David Hare or something like that, right? Uh, Probably. Uh, It was nominated at the BAFTA Awards for, and I quote, the title is, Best Single Drama. Just one. Sure. Just one drama. Just one drama. Okay, wow. All right. Bill Nye, tough. Tough, but fair. All right. Okay. Danita, are you ready? It is your turn for Joseph to give you a challenge. I'm scared, but ready. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Wait, now I'm trying to remember how we got to this one. I usually like to, like, trace my steps. Um, I honestly don't know. How did we get here? Oh, it was through Daniel Brühl. So Daniel Brühl, as I mentioned, the first thing I ever saw him in was Inglorious Bastards. And one of the other breakthrough actors from that movie, although I had already seen him in a thing before this, but still, weirdly the first thing I had seen this actor in was, well, I'll just say it because it's not one of his known for, was 300, uh, which is Michael oh. Fassbender. Um, so you have to guess the known for from Michael Fassbender. Oh my god. Um, I truly know no men. Um, um, oh my god. I want to, I know he's in shame. Shame is one of them, correct. Okay, great. That might be, that might be the best I can do. Okay. (laughs) All right, I'll try and give you, all right, let's, well, let's, let's hint this out. Give me some hints. Give me some hints. We'll give the primer hint to say there are two franchises. Two franchises. Oh my God, that's worse. I've never seen a franchise. And one where he plays a real person who though is, is no longer with us. Um. But it's the title character. Oh, oh yes. He was in Steve Jobs. Yes. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Michael Fassbender so is two- Steve Jobs. Okay, the other two, one is a superhero franchise, but not the one that you're thinking of. And the other one is a sci-fi franchise that got, like, revived. That he, like, isn't the main role, but he is kind of the main role once you get to, like, once you really Is it, like, of- I don't know what it's called, but, like, the that alien, the alien movie? It is the alien yes. movie. It was called Prometheus. I'm giving you that. Okay. You got it. Okay. Okay. I will never. You. I could be here for like the next ten years. I will never get the other one. I have no idea. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it is. Wait. If I said to you, he plays a character that Ian McKellen plays in another movie. Does that help you? No. Because it's another actor. Okay. Um. All right. I'm just gonna give it to you. It is 2011's X Men First Class. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Well, First class shows I'm, up for a couple of. Wait, I want to give you so an actress sorry. then because I feel like that was okay. unfair. Okay, so I'm gonna give to you. All right, this one I think might be like more difficult, but like it would be more difficult for me. But maybe you are uh, better with the actresses than I would be. It is. 
Diane Kruger from Inglorious Bastards. Oh. Okay, let me think. Let me think. Still gonna look her up to help you out with hints, but okay, at least that's a hard one. There's two of Wicca- these that I would have guessed. Hmm. He sets you up at least for one. The only thing I'm thinking of right now is Welcome to Marwin. <laughs> She's in Welcome to Marwin? Yeah. Wow. Whoa. Interesting. It'd be weird if we had a conversation about that in the weeks ahead, Chris. It'd be very weird. It'd be very weird. Wow. Welcome to Marwin. Okay. Okay, well, definitely Inglorious Bastards. Yes, definitely Inglorious yes. Bastards is one of them. There's a recent one in here that I am a little surprised is there considering what the movie is and that it's recent. However, she did have Oscar buzz. She did definitely have Oscar buzz for it. And we and did. I saw this with Joseph. Yes. And I got out of that movie and I was like, I fucking hated that movie. <laughs> and we had maybe the worst Q&A question ever. Yeah, and it was a bad Q&A. recent? Yes. Um, oh my god. Um... In the fade, she's yes, in that. She's in that. In the yeah, fade, yeah, yeah. I have not which, seen that. Yes, it basically like it's this whole movie where she's doing vigilante justice after a terrorist attack kills her family, and the movie ends with a tree on fire. And this person <laughs> at this Q and A asks the Fatih Akin, the director, was the tree CGI or not? After that whole movie. I think it was me, you, and our friend, again, Nick Davis, who we just, like, looked at each other. (laughs) And we're like, I think we need to leave. That was very funny. Um, All right, so the other two are um, more There is no way that one of them will be guessed. I wouldn't have remembered the name of this movie. Oh, interesting. So both of them are, like, each one of them are headed by sorry actors. Um... So she's sort of like the... Is she the love interest in one of them? Yes, she is. So she's the love interest to like the sort of like hammy, uh, adventuresome act- lead actor in one of them. Where they're- this is a thwarted franchise that I, I, I will confess that I like this stupid movie. Okay. Where they're like thieves and they're trying to steal important shit. Maybe a federal crime to steal it. Oh, National Treasure? Yeah, National Treasure. So the other one of them is, like, it's not a franchise, but, like, it's an actor who all of his films seem like they might be a franchise, because they all Mm -hmm. sort of seem the same. (laughs) They've all come out in the past ten years. This is, like, a very respected actor whose career has been, like, very prestigious, and then, like, six or seven years ago, he just decided, I'm just going to make the same movie over and over and over again. And they're okay. all come out in January and August. And some I feel of them like are you're good. talking about Liam Neeson. We are. Yes. But I have no idea what the movie is. Yeah, it's a tough title. Would you say that you know the title or you unknow the title? <laughs> I don't know. The movie is unknown. The movie is unknown. Called unknown. Okay. <laughs> I have no idea what that is. It is one of the several. Um, 
Joam Collette Sarah movies that he has done. Wait, has he done? He's uh, done a couple. Because, right, because The Commuter was him and Liam Neeson was maybe also in Run All Night. Anyway, it's all the same movie. Liam it's all the same Neeson. to Liam. It's fine. Listen, he took the death of his wife very hard, and we can all appreciate that. Oh, um, that's so sad. I think that's a good job. I think you did a good job. We gave you yeah. we gave you one that was not in your wheelhouse, and we gave you an actress who was pretty difficult to get. So, good job. Well done. I, I haven't seen any of those movies. And listeners, I've seen movies. <laughs> <laughs> we trust you. Really, the answer to this is that you just have good taste, that's and true. that's why you couldn't oh, get well. them. Mm. Versus Joe and I, who watch a lot of trash. I was going to say, I will watch some junk. It's fine. All right. Danita, who do you have for me? So I want to give you another British woman that I love. Um, And maybe it's a bit easier. um, But I I want you to do Helen Mirren. (gasps) Helen Mirren. Okay. Helen Mirren definitely has one of the reds on there, unfortunately. So I'm going to say red. Yes. The queen. Yes. Um, hmm. I feel like Helen is going to skew towards recent stuff. I mean, I have to guess my former nemesis that I constantly never got. I have to guess Gosford Park. Yep. <laughs> All right, so another Oscar nomination. And you have one left, and it's, it's, pro- it's the least obvious, I would say. 2012. Ooh, okay, so I'll, I'll take that hint. 2012, that which is post the Queen, right? Pre Trumbo. Is it the Hundred Foot Journey? No. Is a woman in gold? I love gold. Nope. Yeah, you're going too late. You got a little. She bit plays. The Helen Mirren all kind of blurs together, though. It is true. She does. That's her superpower. That's her X-Men power. If she's ever an X-Men. It's blurring it's just all of blurring her all of her, her roles together. Or like when they happen in her career. Right. Um, uh, maybe it is Trumbo. No, Trumbo's 2015. Because it's that horrible best actor. Year. She sure. plays She plays like second to like a very, like the character like is a very like famous man. So, is it's it Hitchcock? A, yes. Yeah, Ugh. I was gonna say I, I know I know we've done Helen Mirren before because I also was hung up on Hitchcock and I was really really hoping oh I forgot Chris that you would be hung up on Hitchcock Hitchcock for as long as I was and I would feel sweet <laughs> sweet vengeance <laughs> Hitchcock which fully was like these close to her being nominated yes, for that movie it was crazy talk about British actresses that just like just get nominated. She's become one of those actresses that, like, is a, is a, her list of Golden Globe nominees is, like, insane. Where it's, since she won the Oscar for the Queen, it's sort of like how Meryl, it's just like, if you look at her, her, her list of Golden mm-hmm. Globe nominations since she won for Iron Lady is, like, insane. Um, since the Queen, Mirren's been nominated for Golden Globes for The Last Station, Hitchcock, Phil Spector, the TV movie Phil Spector, The Hundred sure. Foot Journey, Trumbo and my greatest feat of awards predicting ever um, when she was nominated for the Leisure Seeker. Hell yeah, I know what this is. For the Leisure Seeker two years ago. <laughs> Leisure Seeker. Okay, so Helen Mirren is definitely about to be Globe, SAG, and BAFTA, but not Oscar nominated for The Good Liar. I will just say that. I think that's a strong possibility. Half joking. It's a strong possibility, I will say. In my 
in my office this week, we, for some reason, we've really been talking a lot about teaching Mrs. Tingle. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Tell me and more. I just, well, we, I don't even know how we got just on Just Halloween? Topic, just like I, scary movies? Probably how, yeah, spooky, like Kevin Williamson. Right. Um, spooky movies. That was the um, era. That was the post-scream sort of like the, teen horror. the era. Yeah. yeah. I watched. Mrs. Tingle is so, I think it's very forgotten about, but. And I think it was like the movie that sort of like made Helen Mirren a household name, like in America. For America. for that generation of people, certainly. Mm-hmm. I think that's why yeah. like that generation got into Helen Mirren. I think that's totally true. Yeah, yeah, she's really and good. She, in but it. she is so hot in it. Like she is so evil and hot. I it's like incredible. It's so great. Teaching so Mrs. Good. Tingle. That 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 and not red should be on her her known for. A hundred percent. I also can't believe Calendar Girls isn't on there. Uh, truly, p- put a pin in that. <laughs> put a pin in Calendar Girls. No, but like we should talk about Calendar Girls on this podcast at some point. That's a great one. We definitely will. Yeah. We absolutely will. Maybe that'd be good to have like an in depth Helen Mirren conversation. Yes, true. Who knows. But for now, that's our episode. If you want more This Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Danita, please tell our listeners where they can find more of you. Well, you can find my podcast everywhere you listen to podcasts, and it's We Really Like Her. And you can find me on Twitter and everywhere you find anybody at Danita Steinberg. Absolutely. Absolutely. I know I've shouted it out before on this podcast before, but We Really Like Her is exceptional. It's one of my favorite podcasts. Um, so definitely follow that and listen along. Joseph, tell our listeners where they can find you and your stuff. Sure. You can find me on Twitter at Joe Reed. Reed is spelled R-E-I-D. You can find me on Letterboxd at uh, same name, same spelling. And yeah, I did all my Halloween movies. I made it through all 31 days of October, seeing a different uh, horror movie every day. I'm very proud of myself. I will not shut up about it, even though it is well into November by the time you are listening to this. I did a thing. There's one movie I meant to ask you about, but we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that. Off. Okay. That's it. But yay. That's all. Oh, and I am also Chris File. I am on Twitter at Chris V File. That's F E I L. Letterboxd under the same name. And you can find my uh, regular writing at The Film Experience. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please, please, please remember to rate, review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you find your podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility. So please, don't leave us at home to listen on the radio. Let let us go to the actual show with Maggie Smith and Judy Dench to watch uh, Daniel Bruhl play some <laughs> violins. I don't know. This is maybe my worst metaphor. Um, <laughs> that's all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more Buzz. Andrea. Andrea? Thank you.